I mean, well, one of my New Year's resolutions is actually just to look up a bit more, you know, put an album on, look out the train window on the way to work, yeah. and sort of engage with the world again, because I do think technology has a danger of making everyone's sources of inspiration the same, yeah. the typeface is the same. If everything's going to go on Squarespace, we're all going to have to, like, work to the same, like, three or four fonts or the same tonal pastel colour palettes, and and it's it's dangerous, like... We're an industry that's about creativity, and and that process is dangerously close to automation. And there's all these articles at the moment about how designers will be fine for the next 50 years because tech can't replicate the creative process. Well, it can only it can only not do that if you're pulling inspiration from interesting, diverse places. Yeah. The moment you're just pulling it from online blogs, well, technology can totally do that. Hello and welcome to Arrest on the Mix. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? The weather this week is empowerment. Yep, it's deep stuff. It's powerful stuff. It's relevant stuff with JKR's Global Executive Creative Director, Sean Thomas. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Some of these titles get massive. I might start giving myself a few naughty ones on the end of it. Executive Illustrator. How's that sound? (laughs) Anyway... I'm talking bollocks already. Um, Sean Thomas is awesome and he earns that title. We're going to get deep into that soon. We're talking about all the good stuff from getting off the line and getting those inspirations and feeding that creativity and why algorithms and all the other shit that we have to deal deal with on the internet uh, are only going to be scary if we allow them to be as human beings if we become slaves to those trends in our screens. I'm talking nonsense. I'm back from doing an exhibition in London. But first, we're going to get into all that stuff and why I'm rambling already. After a little thank you for the supporters of this podcast, so please do go and check them out. Give them your own support because they keep this show free. Illustrationweb.com, fantastic illustration and animation agency representing a lot of global illustrators, animators, gift makers, hand lettering specialists, fashion designers, you name it, it's all sorts. The talent is broad, the passion is strong. Go and have a look, illustrationweb.com. Heartsinternet.co.uk, tech and digital sponsor, giving us a little tip each episode, as well as their wonderful services in SEO advice, social media advice, hosting, domain names, all the good web stuff that you need to get yourself up the internet. (laughs) Sounds a bit wrong. Fileco.co.uk. Um... Providing the largest range of hot stamping files to the design industry for over 30 years. These guys are brilliant. They provide the sexy, shiny stuff that goes on your beans tins, on your whiskey bottles, on your magazines, on your book covers. You name it. If you've got the imagination to do it, these can help you walk through the process because they really are cool. I've worked with them myself. They've been on episode 130 of the show. Go back and listen to all the in-depth geeky stuff about foiling and their work in the design industry. Foilco.co.uk Last but not least with the business, the Association of Illustrators. Wonderful organisation. Been around for a long time now, but never more relevant than this moment in time. I must say we're going to get into that stuff shortly because these guys are doing a lot of great work. Um, The business empowerment campaign is going to be coming up on the show before too long. I've got Lou Bones and Ren Renwick returning to the show. They were on episode 44 going way back when. Um, talking about the AOI as an industry, uh, sorry, uh, illustration as an industry, the AOI as an organisation and the support they give to the illustration 
industry overall. Um, great people. And the business empowerment campaign is truly brilliant and very, very timely. It's all about getting yourself ship shape in the organisation side of things, so from your accounts through to your marketing, making sure you're earning enough money and, and, and you know that matches the skills that we have as illustrators. So it's really crucial stuff. Go and have a look, theaoi.com. Whew, that's a mouthful. So... What's going on? What's going on? I'm back from Lend Me Area, the launch exhibition in London. Got to say hello to a few of you lovely people, so thank you if you did come down and say hello and check out the show. If I didn't see you, I'm sorry. Uh, might have missed you, popping out for brews, talking to people on the launch night. It was a wonderful, wholesome, positive experience, so I'm not going to rattle your ear for too long, but go and have a look, Lend Me Your Ear art.com. It's a long-standing collaboration of mine between myself, illustrator and music photographer Andy Cotterill, a lovely fellow, been working in the game for over 30 years, photographed, you name them, Kanye, Demon Albarn, uh, Stormzy, Skepta, Grace Jones, Florence, they're all in there, it's all going on, and Andy's got such a wonderful, empathetic, warm, human style of photography. Um, Go back and listen to that episode, he gets deep into the stories behind each of these legends and who he's photographed and what it means to be... Um, on a level with the people that you're working with it's a great episode, it's really worth your time but just a big thank you to everyone involved thank you to Stance, the company who made the exhibition happen, they gave us a space in Covent Garden, right in the centre they're a great brand, they support an amazing amount of community based projects, doing workshops around their sock company and it's just quite a refreshing way to run a business. Go and have a look. They're very, very cool and they support lots of cool people. I'm not including myself in that bracket. We just kind of managed to sneak under the radar a little bit there. But it was a wonderful experience and what I do want to say about it is it's been a labour of love for us and when you show that to the world, when you sort of put that heart on the outside, it's amazing what happens. The amount of doors that opened and the amount of people I got to talk to during that whole experience, completely unexpected right through to the wonderfully expected, the people you want to catch up with. It was a beautiful thing, and I've come back feeling very, very inspired, very creatively turned on. And as much as putting an exhibition on is stressful and it's a ball ache and it reminds me why I don't do it for like 10 years in between, it was incredible. Um, And I just, you know, no matter what the format, exhibition, writing, podcasting, whatever it is, find a way to get those passions out there because it really is amazing what happens when you share them with the world and the people it brings into that web um, I was talking to Stephen Baycroft, a writer who used to share a studio near me in London when I was in Woolwich, and Stephen's the loveliest guy, and he has a habit of turning up at times in my life when he just hits up on something that's been floating around that subconscious of mine and articulates it in that one sentence in the most amazing way. And when I tried to say to him about these, all these, you know, these amazing chance encounters and these things that were going on, these doors opening, he just looked at me and did this little wink and kind of went, it's the weave, you see. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I mean about Stephen and all kinds of connections were going on so there you have it um, that's all I wanted to say on the matter really it was it's a real passion project and we're hoping to announce the second exhibition coming up soon somewhere else in the UK but my point was um, just do it put put that stuff out there on your sleeve in the way that works for you and your character and it really is incredible what happens um, I forgot to give a tip didn't I with uh, heart I'm going to go back to that now. I'm not going to edit it back in. I'm just going to tell you the digital tip. So um, 
Today's guest, Sean Thomas, um, we're talking in a big chunk of this podcast about the importance of not allowing our sphere of influences to be narrowed to the online because that's dangerous and that's when the likes of algorithms and AI can mimic what we're doing and we become redundant. We're going to get deeper into all that stuff. But I think that's a tip enough in its own right is just to get organic, walk around, smell the air, see what people are doing, listen to what people are saying. It's so dangerous to walk around with, you know, headphones on listening to the same things um, on our phones looking at the same channels before we know it we'll lose all the creativity that we're kind of looking for within that platform and it's this self-fulfilling kind of all-consuming danger really so without going too much deeper listen to what Sean has to say about it in the episode but that's the tip that I wanted to give you before going off track from Heart Internet (laughs) Um, and that's why I wanted Sean on this episode today, because he's a big guest and JKR Global are a big agency. But the thing that attracted me to Sean is when I learned about his work and the things he was doing talks about, it really rang true, the idea of getting messy, getting off the screen, um, feeding your mind with a whole range of, of influences. And I think as technology becomes more impressive and more useful, it also becomes more dangerous and it can really swallow swallow us up if we're not careful. I'm speaking to you on a day when I've kind of been online, I've done my social media posting for the morning, the day, whatever, and I've scheduled the time to come back on and, you know, see what's going on, see what replies are there, maybe make the next post. I'm trying to curate that a little bit better because I noticed it becoming this subconscious habit where... Okay, so here's an example. During the exhibition in London, I, I was down there all morning, you know, emailing, social, promoting the show, talking to people who are going to be coming to the launch event, all the necessary stuff. And don't get me wrong, we have to do this stuff and it's really important. But I left that space and I found myself walking down a sunny street in Covent Garden going to get a sandwich. And without even realising it, I was on my fucking phone. For no real reason, just habit, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, reply to a WhatsApp, bumping into people like those dicks who walk down the street and almost take you out. And I got quite angry with myself, and it's taken the best part of a week to try to break that habit and get back into making my phone work for me and make those wonderful, useful platforms work for me. And if that's not feeding your creativity and just a tool within that creativity, then isn't it kind of... frightening territory I personally think it is that's why I wanted to talk to Sean Thomas because he articulates wonderfully why we have to get outside of that why we have to experiment and why creativity has to be original and about the way we see the world the way we interpret the world that's how I'm feeling today the studio I tidied it up yesterday and it's turning into a mess already because I'm kind of fired up having listened to this conversation with Sean and I'm trying new techniques and I'm playing with new media again and keeping off the screen. When I need to use the screen, I'm kind of questioning myself and I'm going, okay, why are you going on here? What's the goal? How quickly can you get it done? And it's kind of cool because I've had a lot more time to just let my brain defrag and get rid of all that bollocks that whizzes around it when you've been on the internet. So without banging the drum too much, it's just some thoughts on that matter. Um, that also feeds nicely into a talk I'm going to be doing in the next month or so, doing a talk with the Association of Illustrators, the Society of Authors, and it's about mental health um, and freelancing. So it's quite an exciting one. It's quite a pertinent one for somebody who writes and talks about this stuff quite a lot. 
Um, and it's called Healthy Minds for Creatives. So like I mentioned, it's put on by the Society of Authors, the Association of Illustrators, and that's going to be going on July the 10th in Manchester, 2 till 4pm at the Anthony Burgess Foundation, and tickets are available on Eventbrite. So go and take a look at those channels. Come along, say hello, come and listen to me rattle on about um, those, you know, the kind of social trappings and the way it can kind of fill up your brain with all this needless tension and... Um, take you out of that creative sphere and all, and also just the classic pitfalls of spending too much time on your own of the procrastination, the self-doubt all of that good stuff that we're all pretty familiar with so there you have it, that's coming up it's chaired by Stuart Lucas uh, Mind in Greater Manchester so it's going to be a good one also speaking along with Simon Brett writer, blogger uh, and anti-stigma campaigner Lucy Nicole so get down, it's going to be a good one um, I'm excited about it so I've talked about me long enough, I've talked about all the stuff. Like I say, keep up on the AY at the minute. They're doing a lot of good stuff, including this talk. They're doing the business empowerment campaign. It's a good time to become a member. They really, really are a cool organisation. Uh, and I've got that podcast in the bag, so that's coming up. Get me your thoughts on everything I've just banged on about. Everything Sean Thomas is going to say brilliantly in a moment. Sean's going to get into early indications of creativity. We're going to talk about that feeling at school where we didn't really know what was going on. We like to create. We don't know why. We don't know where it lives in the world. It's going to talk about the unexpected clues, the accidental benefits of things going wrong. Um, he's going to get into naive stupidity and energy. Basically, if you've got the energy and there's that naive stupidity where you do not stop and you want to open those doors, it's amazing how you can make money in this industry through creativity. And talk about the dangers of over-reliance on the same process like I just discussed in depth, maybe in too much depth for the intro. Forgive me. I'm knackered. <laughs> um, he's going to talk about the overhauling of Jones and Old Ritchie and, and how the trust was placed in the people who were already there, but how roles were rejected accordingly. Uh, they're going to get into how they worked with everyone to make sure they were maximising their enjoyment, their fun, their creativity, the trust that's needed from the top. And also just the danger of all ideas having to go through one person at an agency, you know? It's that idea of whoever's name is on the tin it kind of goes through them and everything starts to feel a little bit the same so it's quite an interesting assessment and he's going to talk about why you know listening to the new people through the door and why binning such titles as junior director has only been a good thing for this agency at arrests or mimics on the social i will be checking don't worry i'm going to be there i'm just managing it a little bit better for me to preserve my own sanity and my creativity uh, what else, what else, anything else tell me what you've been up to, again hit us up at Arrest or Mimics on the social, drop me an email hello at bentallen.com I'm so, I've had a couple of emails recently actually from people asking about guesting on the show I'm going to be getting back to you like I always do I've just taken my time because I'm coming back from this spell away and I just want to get creative again and I'm not as up on the social and uh, the tech as I should be I'm just trying to take my time and concentrate on the creativity so my apologies for taking time, I will get back to you so thanks for listening. Enjoy this conversation. Sean Thomas is wonderful. Go and support the sponsors um, and have a look at the great work that JKR, Jones, Knowles, Ritchie are doing at the moment. They're a brilliant agency. I believe they scooped some more DNA D award recently. Um, they're just going, they're doing good work and that's all that matters. So take a look. Enjoy the conversation. You find me at the headquarters in London. So what about you? What's your background? Are you, I mean, are you... I, I'm always interested in people with creative kids and like if they were from a, from a creative family. What's your um, story to that? Not really. I'm. I like my mum's really musical, so I, I think she she had like nine or ten different um, sort of top grades and could play about fifteen twenty different instruments. Mm. Um, um, my dad would always 
do drawings for us as kids but like not really there isn't really a long line of kind of creative people in my mm. family like uh, to be honest I'm the per- first person in my family to ever pretty much leave Essex and go to university and like <laughs> seek higher education like, everyone in my family has been a fisherman or a farmer pretty yeah. much for like hundreds of years yeah. so in some respects I'm a complete failure of, of the family <laughs> um, but um, yeah and I say yeah there's not really any kind of creative um yeah, mm. which is probably why it took me about 30 years to start to figure out, you know, how to dress properly. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it, uh, it sounds like it was allowed, you know. Oh, like, yeah. That's, that, I find that's the difference. It's not, there's a lot of people who say, no, not, not really a lineage of any kind, but it was either encouraged or simply allowed. And yeah. Sometimes that's enough because a lot of kids are just that creative. Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, you know, my family, well, I remember, like, my mum having to go at one of my teachers when I was quite young at school because... I wasn't allowed to do any drawing in the class and I always had to be doing maths and she was like, well, if he wants to do some drawing, why can't he do some drawing or mm. something along those lines. That stuck with me quite young. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's funny really how you, you know, you end, up, you end up where you are really. I think, you know, you end up where you are because of like just moments in your life with individuals the way you, these little freak sliding doors-esque moments happen to you mm. and, they, and you end up taking one life path yeah. And I've often wondered, like, what would have happened if, I, you know, other stuff. I've got about six or seven moments in my life I look back on, and I think I just wouldn't be here if three or four of those things hadn't mm. happened. It's it's sort of interesting how that. Happens. It is a fascinating train of thought, isn't it? About the very same thing. I always say certain accidental mentors, be it a tutor or just an adult who said something that stuck. And yeah, it is interesting to think that if that hadn't happened, where would you end up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what about? Um, I mean, did you did you study? Did you? What was was there a point when you kind of thought this is what I like to do, and I'm going to, you know, I want to find out where this fits in the world? Yeah, I, I guess I went. To, I, I kind of got into quite an ac- academic school. I got into a grammar school in my hometown, and um, I, I actually struggled with it quite a bit because I, I just wasn't very good at like science and maths, and and that those schools are really that's what they're about. Mm. Um, I think it's been really helpful later on in my career because I loved English. And I think, you know, being good with language and writing and, and sort of just knowing how to be kind of formal and have diplomacy kind of helps you in, like, you know, get to a managerial position and get to, like, leadership level. But um, my school didn't really value art very much. And I remember, like, I sort of... When I, when I left school, I wasn't sure what to do. It was the year when they changed the, um, changed the rules around student loans. And there was a huge drop-off in all the people going to art colleges because everyone was panicking, thinking they had to go into education while it was free and there weren't student loans because if you did it, if you did a foundation course, the, no one knew at that time if you were going to still get funding to go to uni. So I, I went and did a foundation course for a year because they sent a letter out saying, look, there's no one going to foundation course. We're really worried about this. Just honestly, go to foundation course. You will still get tuition paid for at the end of that year. Just go and do it. Yeah. And then, so I went and did it. And then we all got a letter six months in going, actually, you're not going to get your tuition paid for. (laughs) Which I kept that letter. Um, But it was, it was really good though, because if I, if I had just gone and done English or or something at university, I I don't know what I would have done now. I would never have fallen into this. I wanted to do art. But I, I didn't have the, I didn't really have the guts to do it at the time. I didn't understand how people made a living out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't see a way to a career, um, and 
I tried fine art school and I hated what I produced. I couldn't look at any of it. Um, and then I went to college and I did some graphic design. And I guess I get I did that usual thing of becoming obsessed with like you know Radiohead album covers and like um, Ray Gun magazine and, <laughs> and the usual kind of like student path. And I and I I loved all of that. Um, and then at Christmas, I think our tutor, um, our tutor just that told us that they were shutting all the arts funding down to the college. And when we came back after Christmas, there wouldn't be any tutors. Um, so in January I think me and about four friends had a choice and we all kind of just clubbed together and set ourselves briefs and one of the one of the teachers very kindly just came in on Mondays and just looked at our work so we just kind of carried on going and he told us how to apply and I got into a university and he was like you know why didn't you go for that one and I was like I did get into that I did get into Norwich but I just thought this other one was better because the gigs look really good and he was like you're an idiot that's a really good university go to that university um so I ended up sort of drifting into and I think even in the second year at Norwich I don't really think I knew I wanted to be a designer mm. I think I still was thinking I'm an animator I'm a photographer and it was just a brief we had one day with one of the teachers uh, called Ray Gregory at the time who's in Smile of the Mind and is retired now and he's um and he just and something clicked that bug of like I did a poster and it was almost the thing I loved about comedy where there's like a bit of a, a setup and then a, and a payoff mm. and you're like oh that's interesting I kind of enjoyed that and I seemed quite good at that and after that I think I knew that I can see a way to make money out of that I enjoyed the creative process of it and I think that sort of language I loved at school mm. kind of plays a part here so um that's that's when I sort of started to fall in love with design, really, like that second yeah. year of university. Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about these, the almost chance paths, doesn't it? As well, there's so much in there where you think, oh my God, you couldn't ever preempt that. The no. whole thing of the, the funding cut and the tutor coming back in, and it's like it's all down to chance. But then, I guess I don't know. I, I had this conversation with a friend recently where we we did a photo shoot, and there was a lot of luck went our way, and there was a few fuck ups, and by the end of it, I. He's, he was on the side of we need to get our shit together because next time we might not be this lucky mm. whereas I was the optimistic one and said no we were open to seeing the chance that was presented in, in what happened and, think, and shit does happen yeah. that's creativity you know so I guess there's two ways to look at it it's, it's an industry full of those moments so I guess it's being open to seeing them uh, yeah, but at that time it's hard isn't it because you don't like you said it's about not knowing photography design. It's, it's this mesh of I know what I like, you said gigs, it's that sort of same thing, album covers, but what the hell do you do with that in the world? Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time, I mean, at the time, PlayStation was booming, Sony was really hot, mm. um, music websites and like recording contracts for artists were so big and it felt like it was never going to end. Mm-hmm. But even then, I was like, I don't know anyone that, say, makes a living out of creating album covers. I don't know anyone that makes a living out of band photography. Mm-hmm. And I started up my own little fanzine when I when I started when I got my first job in the industry. The company I worked for like gave me a few hundred quid a month just to produce like a music fanzine of like, and I went and interviewed bands and people cool. I liked. Yeah. Um, and and I quickly realised that yeah, I, I, within a few within a few months of doing it, I was meeting like Underworld and McCluskey and like Radiohead, like big bands, and you realise there was just the whole scene was dying. Mm. And they and art rec, uh, you know labels and then artists were quite happy to spend time talking to you because there was it, it was already that point where like Maiden Maker had gone, 
queue was trimming down what it did online was terrifying everybody mm. um, and it's amazing now like you know the, you had the, the opportunities were there you just had to kind of push and go and see what you yeah. know if you could knock the doors down and kind of just connect with people mm. it's just all about enthusiasm a lot of time isn't it I think if you're if you're naively stupid enough to just to carry on doing something over and over and over again and you've got energy for it I just think eventually you'll find a way to make it work and you do and like make some money out of it and survive well that's it when that passion's there and the persistence and you really don't want to you know admit defeat it don't, it don't things do happen because you're, you're like I said you're looking for the opportunities mm. so when they present themselves you grab them you know, and you see them so it's it's yeah, you know, but like, you know, there's so many variables. But I, I kind of love that now as well. Yeah. <laughs> so what about Jones Knowles Ritchie? What what brought you here? What was the what was the journey um, to that? Well, I, I sort of graduated. I had a really good job at a company called Pell Fisher for like seven years. Really brilliant, like time there. I loved every minute. Um, I got to travel the world. I got to figure out who I was a person. Um, and then. I, the people I worked with there at the time have gone on to like set up B&B Studio, Here Design, Magpie, um, Midday, um, Horse, countless others, Buddy. I mean, it was, it was a really rich bunch of designers. Mm. And I learned so much. Um, and I didn't know how to follow that up. But I knew that after seven years, I just had to see what else was out there. Yeah. So I went, f- I went to somewhere else and I learned some other lessons at that place because I... I had a terrible experience in my second agency and it wasn't a lot of fun um, but I, again I met nice people I learned a lot about myself and that I, need, I knew I needed to move on I didn't know how so I just jumped into freelance for about six months I guess and I sort of realised that freelance just didn't suit me as a person I need people around me I like I like sparking off of mm-hmm. people more, more um, and I just I looked at my work and I felt like it was going backwards. I was starting to kind of rely on the same three routes for every project because I didn't really know how to kind of expand like what I was doing. So yeah. I came into Jane, JKR and I met Ian, who's the R of JKR. And I just, something about him was really interesting. I thought I could learn off this guy because I'd, I'd, I'd learn off a lot of really creative people. And Ian's really creative, but in a different way. Like he, he... I've, I've sometimes felt in design that where I've worked in the past or with people I've worked with in the past like they're doing the work for themselves and if it answers the client brief then that's a happy coincidence Yeah. Um, whereas I felt with Ian it was always like no we're going to do what the client wants and if the designers aren't happy about it well tough luck but we have to do what's right for the client yeah. um, and I think we've found a really good sweet spot over the years and, and we've got to work that the clients are over the moon with and the designers love doing as well but I, I, what I loved about his mentality at the time was it was he didn't shy away from talking about design as a business. He, you know, he, he, he was he was tough on people. He was he pushed you, and I I kind of felt like I needed to to learn um, how he'd built up this company up you know up to like 60, 70 people, which it was at the time. Yeah. Um, so I came as a freelancer, worked on the Budweiser pitch. We won that Budweiser pitch, and then after that, he gave me the opportunity along with the creative directors at the time to, to build my own team up and I, I built my team up I got to go to New York I grew the Budweiser account along with my team um, and then bit by bit the agency just evolved over time really I think when I joined it, it, it was an agency that was slightly dormant I would say if that makes sense mm. um, I, think, I think agencies have they like anything like a football club or like um, 
like a film studio or like a band, you have creative highs and then you have almost have like a couple of years of, you know, scratching your head, figuring out how to follow it up mm-hmm. or, you know, or your bit of writer's block. And I think at that time then we were, you're, you, you get more work depending on what you tell people you do. Um, and because of the work we put out for the last two or three years at the time, we were getting more and more work of an ilk that wasn't really motivating the staff and wasn't really exciting like new business. Mm-hmm. So, so Ian was, was incredible. You know, when we moved to this building, he just decided to rip everything up. And it was a huge risk. I mean, he was, he was jeopardising like, you know, 70, you know, 70 people strong business. But he just said, I, you know, I think we've got another level to go to. And we said, and he brought us all here, and we saw the building, and stood in the atrium, and he said, "We're going to one day fill this building, and we're going to make it ours. But to do that, we have to change our mindset, and we have to now really evolve as an agency." But he said, "I believe in every. I don't need to go and hire thirty new people to do that. The people in this room are the people that are going to do it, mm-hmm. and we're going to work." Um, and he hired a guy called Tosh in America, who is brilliant, um, and I learned so much of working with him and. Just over the months, I think we just we just were hungry to kind of go back to being that agency that was known for doing like Guinness and the Hovises of the world like yeah. we did like 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one, once everyone had that sort of hunger back again, and it, it just, it, I don't know, it's like, just un, it's like releasing a dam. It just all f- pours out. And, you know, it's, you know it's, I, I look back on the last four or five years and it's been incredible, like the sort of the... The energy we've expelled and like the, the work and the, yeah. the effort people have put into the place it's been brilliant well, the, the, I mean the, that change is scary but really exhilarating and if it's positive change and when that and the, you know, the level of trust as you said there to, to believe in those 30 people and not go well we're going to have a revamp so we'll get a lot of new people and you know yeah. it's like that's got to be a, a you know a great rocket up your ass for for want of a better phrase you know I mean the, the, that must have put some real energy in every person involved and and, and would want to I can't believe would want to repair that faith well totally I think yeah. I think Ian talks about the moment that this company changed and was down to him for two reasons one he had the vision to understand it needed to change and listen to the people around him that were telling him it needed to change but two he was gracious enough to do it and I think that a lot of creative companies are set up because of a founder they're set up because of the vision of the person that started the company Mm -hmm. and as you scale everything goes through that person and you get to a point where that isn't sustainable anymore and I think what he realised was every single piece of work was still going through him and because of that it was all starting to look quite similar Mm -hmm. and and he was also stopping you know, clients getting work quicker. Yeah. It was stopping people's progression, and he had a complete change of heart overnight. And he said, "Okay, I now want this studio to be all about empowering the youngest people in the studio, mm-hmm. and and almost we learn from them. Yeah. And from day one out of college, we we, we, we killed the title junior designer. And he's like, because that says to people, you're training and making cups of tea for ten years. He's like, you come out, you're, you're employed like anyone else, and we expect great work of you from day one. Yeah. And he just empowered the whole agency. And, and I just remember like, what that did to everyone. It, everyone suddenly felt like, they, like, it's like I'm going to show you what I'm capable of. And it was, you know, it was, it was amazing. It was like, yeah, five years and, and, and ongoing of people just proving like, what they're capable of. And, and we had people working in the workshop that we, that we moved 
start up a film department. We had account managers who said, I think I could be a copywriter and have now won pencils for copywriting. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we had people in the wrong jobs. We just reorganised the whole studio. We had mm-hmm. strategists that, you know, wanted to be um, illustrators. And, we, just, yeah. and we, we had people that were passionate about typography. So we just said, will you just do typography from now on then? And we just... We just reconfigured the whole that's building. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's really inspiring to hear. And, and so little, even to this day, it boggles my mind that so little attention in so many places is given to what people are, simply what people are interested in and what they're doing anyway and what they enjoy. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me that that's not, there's not more prominence given to that. But I've been lucky enough to interview a number of great agencies on this show and, and that is something that's common in all of the ones that are, that are killing it is that the t- people at the top want to learn from what the people, the young people now. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it takes humility to do that. And but like Turner Duckworth, they were a great example. Mm-hmm. Bruce Duckworth was like, I don't know, you have, to, you have to go and ask my staff. They're the ones running the show. They're the ones who know what's going on now. Absolutely. I just kind of help run the ship, you know. And I was like, okay, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. That's not an ego thing. That's that's getting that the times change and you need to stay with it, you know. Totally, yeah. And that's, that's really cool. So, well, it sounds like things have gone great since. Yeah, it has, yeah. I mean... I mean, it solves so many problems as well, like things like who's taking responsibility for things. If you empower everyone, then they're taking responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you say to people, when people knock on your door and they say, I want a pay raise or I want a promotion, it's like, okay, have you, have you left a good legacy behind you? Is there a team ready to take on the job you're doing? Mm-hmm. If not, when you've got it to that point, then absolutely, we can, we, we'll, we'll sort that out. But, you know, it's... It's a bit like that All Blacks book around. Uh, it's called Legacy, I think. Um, it's around like passing on the ma- the mantra of the of the team. So the ne- you're leaving it in a better state for the next generation. Right. Okay. You know, we've Ian's always vocally talked about. I will one day retire from this business. Tosh will take on you know that man- that mantle when I've gone, mm-hmm. and when he's and then Tosh is looking for his replacement. And we've we've always got that thought in mind of like how do we make sure that we are constantly putting people in place throughout this business who are better than us whereas I think if I look back at management styles and business styles back in the, in the early 90s or the early 2000s it was much more about work on all the things you're weak at and try and become a better all-rounded 7 out of 10 individual yeah. or, or um, you know don't hire someone better than you it's going to challenge you because you need like a strong leader and I just think actually now the whole of leadership training and thinking has gone the other way and it's much more about well actually empower people to do great work and work on what you're really really good at and excel at those three or four things yeah and if you're terrible at these two things then don't try and figure out how to do your timesheets very well or whatever well it is i had it described recently as something that keeps coming up circle of competence and it's about not being afraid to go and explore and try new things but at the same time admitting that if your nature is going against something that it's going to take you a lot longer to get there than it is the person who's geared up for that so why not let that be yeah and like you say go for you know go for your thing it's no, it's no good me you know everything i do this podcast writing illustrating is ramshackle and rough but I learned that that's very natural of me and to just run with that and, and, t- and turn that up to 10. And it's worked. If I'm going to try and be polished and tidy, forget about it. It took me 30 years to, to learn how to be very average at that. Totally. <laughs> well, like, one thing that I've, I've realised about myself is that I, I don't really know how to make things look good. Mm. And that sounds like a ridiculously weird thing to say as someone that's like running a global business. But I, I, I defer to other people's judgment on aesthetic mm. I'm, I'm terrible at like 
choosing the good haircut or like figuring out what colours go with what. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've realised I'm a good judge of what's right for a brand or who's yeah. right to work on a project or when you need to engage that person or is it not the right time to talk to a client. But I will defer all matters of aesthetics and typography to most other people in the business because mm-hmm. I'm like, you're better at those things than I am. And But that's, isn't that the art of being a, a whether it's, I mean, in your case, an ECD or, or an art director, that's what mm-hmm. it is, isn't it? And it's... Like you say, it's, it's almost, there's a bit of ego if you're going to start getting trapped to everything. And it's kind of foolish because you're in a great place where you probably get to work with loads of talented, amazing people and bounce off them. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Uh, it was Rob O'Connor from Style Rouge who said to me, um, you know, he's, he's just, yeah, I, I don't know, really know what I do as an art director. I do, he was, he was tongue-in-cheek, but he was like, everyone else is doing the work, but I have to steer it and bring it together and make it gel for them totally. brands, which is an art in its own right, really. Yeah. Was that so? When you got that opportunity, then when all this happened, was that something that you immediately felt a lot better about and thought, okay, you mentioned about the uh, going to the states, and then uh, was that something where I thought, okay, I'm not going to look back from this? Did it click, so to speak, the role as creative director? Yeah, I think I, I found a design director role exhausting. Um, it's a really tough gig because you're the design director role here is actually quite hands off. Like the designers only really get on a computer to pull together a point of view, to put together a kind of like a coherent argument, steer the design designers. Um, they're almost running their own little mini studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're a, and they do some designing, but not a huge amount. So it's, but you're still, you're kind of stuck between, you're, you're, you're close enough to the work that you haven't quite got that objective viewpoint. And I think the design director gig is a tough one because you are, you're just in that middle ground. The creative director role just gives you that extra distance, which means you can you can just look at a work quite objectively and like and and see it for what it is. Whereas I think when you're that little bit close to it on a daily basis, that's yeah. it's harder. It's why you it is why you need creative directors in businesses. I think just you need someone that to walk past and go, "Are you aware that's illegible?" Because <laughs> yeah. when you're working on it, you know you might not spot it for like you've been working it. I mean. Uh, I used to do loads of spirits design at my last agency, and that is, I mean, that is such a rabbit hole of design to go down sometimes, that you'll be working on this label for hours at a time, crafting this thing, and you'll think it's amazing, and you'll print it out at your size, and you're like, oh, what a waste of a day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, and, the, yeah, I think, so the, I found the creative director role really natural, actually. I've, I really enjoyed that level of... Um, being a bit more removed and also I I've always been more interested in like empowering people I'm not very good at taking ownership you know being in the spotlight or standing on stage talking about stuff or accepting awards I'm 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 much more that person that prefers to thrust someone else into the limelight and have their moment um, and just quietly sort of feel good that you know you know done my job well so I've heard the creative director role was always yeah, a, a natural thing for me, and I, I I'm, I'm interested in how businesses run and how you grow them, and I want to talk to clients about how their agencies stay relevant and like you know what is it you need from us and mm-hmm. how does your in-house team what do they do versus what we do and how can we you know make sure that we're not all just repeating work or making your life more difficult. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've it, I've I've kind of enjoyed that and actually being less hands-on and less doing the work suits my strengths I think a lot more yeah that's really interesting and uh, 
Where do we find you now, then? Speaking now and talking about the agency itself, I mean, what kind of clients are you working with? What's the, what's, I mean, what's the current headcount? Where, where, where's John's and old Richie at this, at this moment? Globally, it's about 300. Um, New York and, and London are by far the two biggest. Like New York's about 80, 90, I think, and we're about 150, yeah. which, um, which sounds quite scary on paper, 150, I think, to some people. You know, oh, that's a big agency. And I... In the grand scheme of like the amount of like smaller startups and things, it you know it probably is, but it, it's never felt like a big agency to me. Like I still know everyone's names. I, I know what most people get up to at the weekend. It's quite a close. Yeah. It's quite a close bunch. Like I think when you start to get to like two hundred plus, I, I imagine that gets harder. But it still feels you know people stay here for a long while as well. So yeah, it's got a good like tight um, feeling about the place. But um, yeah, globally, yeah, three hundred. Um, I think we've we've expanded out into like other different disciplines in the last couple of years. So we were we were mainly known for our packaging and our strategic consultancy work until about five years ago. But we've we started doing more like brand ecosystems, uh, guidelines, online assets. Um, we've got a really good like structural form team. We've got a brilliant like award winning film and motion and copywriting team that I think are going to are going to be the main area of the business that are going to probably grow in the next you know three or four years yeah because uh, like they're just turning away work because so much of it coming in yeah um and i think and i think what we've hit upon is an interesting business model where we love the big brands but for for talent and for um freshness and innovation i think you need to work with the small guys as well so we only work with big brands and small brands. We don't tend to work with those brands that are sort of in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, our biggest clients are like uh, Budweiser, Stella, M&M's, Dunkin', Burger King. So we work with a lot of guys who over the years have shown they value good creativity. And um, it's funny, when you, when you talk to people about big brands, they, there's this perception with designers sometimes that you can't do creative just, stuff for big brands and I've never understood that because if you look at what wins the most DNADs and cans and what have and Cleos every year it's it's always your Burger Kings your Maltesers your, yeah. your McDonald's like they're the ones that value it almost more than anyone because they've got to keep being creative and stay relevant yeah. to people otherwise they get forgotten you know they, otherwise mm-hmm. they well, kind of just get on a decline to nothing really yeah and then we work with a lot of smaller guys because I think the lessons you learn with those guys are also fascinating because you can, like with brands like Hippies and The Gut Stuff and Ugly, we you know, created those brands with the, with the leader of the brand like in a matter of weeks, really. Yeah. Uh, the Gut Stuff was a, a sort of two-week sprint to get to a purpose and a first stage of work. And the client, we, because we knew the client, you could tell straight away when I saw that first route they're going to love this because they're mm-hmm. two cheeky northern girls who absolutely love um, tackling taboos. So I'm like, the more controversial we can make that, the, the more it, yeah. they'll be happy with it. And um, it will be my guess that, that the one feeds the other. So you do an amazing job on a brand of that size and it catches the eye of uh, you know whatever role in, let's say, a McDonald's or a... Totally. And vice versa, you yeah. gotta learn things from the big brands and the big projects that, that you can just you know, you've got it in that finished form and can go, Well actually let's take a look at this for the small guys. Well that's the thing. I think the big brands are interested because they they don't understand sometimes how you can scale a brand like hippies to be worth like it's, I think it's in the hundreds of millions now and it's only been going like two years. Mm. And for them they're like, How is that possible? 
without, you know, there's been no above the line spend, no marketing push. Um, that's purely all grown organically from like design touch points. Yeah. Um, and that just didn't seem possible a few years ago. Um, but with a good bit of design thinking at the heart of your brand, that is completely doable now. But then equally, when you talk to the guys at Hippies and Ugly and Gut Stuff, they want their brands to be massive. They want, they want people to know about them. They're, they're, not, they're not doing it because they want to tell their mum they're in Whole Foods. They're doing it because they, they, they want to, you know, probably one day sell the business, retire and, you know, yeah. and, you know set themselves up for life. And um, I think it's really interesting. It, it feels um, you, there's a lot to be learned from both. So the way we structure the teams upstairs is the teams all have a big brand to look after and then a couple of smaller ones as well okay. so that you get a, you get that variety mm. uh, so you don't have any team that's constantly just on one brand all year long yeah. um, because I've done that before and that gets hard I think when you're just on a brand constantly for, forever and ever and ever you, you just you start to shut down opportunities and options because of all the things that have tried and have failed along the way yeah. you get to a point where you're like well I can't do anything other than this because I've done all this other stuff um, so that's why we try and keep that freshness. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in respect to working with bigger brands, I, when I was kind of researching for this episode, I watched an interview with you and James Nixon on computer apps, which was really interesting. Oh, yeah. And what I really liked about that was a comment about asking the, the client for permission to do things, to experiment and to try things. Mm-hmm. And I think that with big brands, like you said, people do have that preconception and the fear that because they're a big brand, there's going to be very limited room for creativity. But in my experience, when I've gone back to a client and gone, actually, I think this could be better, or I think there might be a better solution to this, I've very rarely been rejected. And I think they're quite, they, they, they like the fact that I've shown them the respect to actually want to do a better job. And B, I'm, they've brought me in as a creative, and hopefully that's not just to be a hand. Occasionally it is, and that's okay. But, but nine times out of ten, they want to work with, you know, what are the ideas behind it, and, and they've come to you for a reason. Therefore... I think it is good to challenge your clients and to, and to kind of be interested and to look for the best solution. Um, so I, it was really great to hear that from you guys. So is that something that, that's kind of a company ethos or is it something you promote? Yeah, it's, it's one of our values. We've got like three founding values around like we, we believe in unlike-minded individuals and courage to do the right thing um, is a big one um, where we've often go back into a room with a client. I mean, Ian tells a story of when they did Hovis back in the day he sent the design director back in the room with the same bit of work three times over. Um, and each time he was like, the client hates it. And then he was like, well, I don't care. Um, you will do what the clients ask you to do, but you will still take it back in and go, but we still firmly believe this is the right answer. And when, they, when that work eventually did go through it, it like, transformed their business for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a similar journey on Budweiser where um, research, you know, I think you know, research is kind of, it's still incredibly important, but it hasn't, doesn't play the dominant role now, I don't think, that it did you know, five, six years ago, where you almost couldn't do anything on a brand unless you researched it for a year. Mm. I think big brands have realised that they can't afford to, to just have something in testing for that amount of time. Otherwise, the, the hippies of the world are going to just you know, take, all their, you know, take all their dinner money. So, yeah. They're, um, yeah, so I think things have got a lot more nimble. And um, I, I definitely think that has, that's become a... A big thing here, where we we won't ever we'd never bully a client or be aggressive with them and say, look, you know, we know more about this than you. You have to you have to buy this. But I think what we've got a lot better at is explaining to clients why we are suggesting this is the right thing. Yes. So, like for example, on that um, 
the Beans Means High in Selfridges uh, 50 limited edition tinge job we did, um, the client the client came to us and like they they were the ones that were savvy enough to realise there was an opportunity to celebrate the anniversary of the slogan. It was just the way in which they wanted to do it. We were like, we just don't think you're going to get a lot of traction with this. Like, you might get an, an inch in campaign, but you're not going to, no one in the public's going to see it. And if no one in the public's going to see it, then what's the point? Yeah. Um, so that's when we would said, well, can we go to Selfridges and talk to them about, you know, the idea and see if they're interested and you know we think that because you've worked with them before and because they're such a it's such a mainstream brand Selfridges might be interested in it because there's something quite quite weird about a huge mainstream brand that charges like you know 39p for a tin of beans being in like your your window for a month Um, and the client was like okay well let's see like what they say and it was incredibly successful and did really well Mm. but I think it, but it was all very much about us explaining to them why that was the right thing for the brand to do yeah. and taking them on that journey. I think one thing designers don't do that advertising agencies do so well is they just give you a good narrative. Yeah. And I think so many designers know why they've done stuff in their head, but they don't put it down on paper. They don't explain to people why they've made these decisions. They just think it's, well, a client's going to totally understand that. But you're, yeah. you're talking to people that don't live in your world and they don't they don't see why you've put that ligature in something or yeah. how that connects back to the brand or why that's it's going to evoke a memory from that 70s ad campaign that you're trying to bring back um, I, I think that's one thing we've worked really hard on like telling that putting that work in a narrative and explaining to clients we think this is right because yeah. and since we've done that that's that that's changed the quality of the work we get out, I think, immensely. Well, that's it. And then, like you said, subservience is dangerous if it's just for fear of, of upsetting someone. At the same time, like you say, there's a, you know you don't want to be disrespectful. You don't want to upset someone because they are climbing. They're putting faith in you. So, mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's having that value conversation, isn't it, about what they want to get out of something and how you see that working from experience of what you do which is hopefully why you're brought in so totally. so it's great to see that functioning at a bigger agency level like this you know and and, and, it, and it just backs up what i've always believed in that is the right that's the right way yeah you know? those conversations should be should be should be had uh, as much as possible really yeah i think um so, i mean so what i was interested um about when when this opportunity came up to chat to you about about the idea of uh, offline research and getting ideas from mm. a range of sources let's talk about that what's what's uh, what's the thinking there and is that something you've always felt strongly about yeah I, I guess so um I'm bad at it myself like I do resort to looking at my phone far more than I should do but I I do think in the next few years like there'll be a backlash against the amount we spend on like technology I I, I think that I you know it's, it's handy it's 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 brilliant for so many things but I I think it limits creativity. I think, you know, there's a, there's a spate of articles at the moment around, like, homogenisation of, like, des- logos in design where everyone's putting everything in Helvetica and getting, ripping up all these hundreds of years of, like, heritage for these fashion brands and just making them all look the same. Burberry was a recent one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was a recent one. And there was countless other ones like Yves Saint Laurent. And, um, and I, think, I, think what, I think what happens sometimes is as... I don't think what design or advertising does has fundamentally changed for hundreds of years it's just that it, every so often it, the media or the platform you have to do it through just just enters a new phase so a bit like when I started the industry like every taxi driver in London was a printer 
Um, and then everything moved on to computers, and then everything's now moving on to mobile. Um, it's just a different platform, mm-hmm. but the, what, you're, what you're still doing is the same. And what I've noticed a lot is the long, a lot of the younger guys who were brought up before they were like you know libraries in in like the studios when they when they join the the agency they they all go to the same three blogs to get all of their inspiration mm-hmm. and what that resu- results in is like for an agency that says we believe in making your brand individual and charismatic that often res- results in a lot of mood boards that for me look quite interchangeable yeah. so what i often have to say to people is like okay you've got to create a tension between like yes your brand can be like bold and powerful but what's the quirk within it what's the what's the thing because just extruding the type and making it look dynamic isn't enough Um, hundreds of people have done that it's a bit one of the things that drives me mad a little bit is um, when you see like designers that are working on like a a job for like a new maybe like a new magazine cover and they go onto a website of cool magazine covers and I'm like <laughs> all you're, yeah. you're going to see on that on that page is other work that's already been done yeah so what I find really interesting is like we've got um, a few people upstairs we've got a guy called Bob who's in his 70s and he helped set up Turner Duckworth and back in the days you know, and as a designer well I don't know if he helped set it up actually but he worked at Turner Duckworth back in the day and at Lewis Mobley and he was a big part of Wolf Hollins when it first started mm. one of the founding designers uh, and we've got John Yule as well, who's who's my creative director when I started work here, but he's now he's actually kind of gone back to just designing again, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's amazing about those guys is they just don't start with the computer as a reference point. They will just pull something out of the air from like an album cover, or I was thinking about that photographer from the seventies, or they will walk around the Tate. And it's interesting that like, hippies was born out of the um, slogan above the motorway that got painted over recently to give peas a chance yeah. and one of our designers was on a was driving down that motorway to visit their family they saw that and they're like give peas a chance that's interesting um, and and I think I, 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 one of my New Year's resolutions is actually just to look up a bit more you know put an album on look out the train window on the way to work yeah. and sort of engage with the world again because I do think technology has a danger of making everyone's sources of inspiration the same, yeah. the typeface is the same. If everything's going to go on Squarespace, we're all going to have to like work to the same like three or four fonts or the same tonal pastel colour palettes. And, and it's, it's dangerous. Like We're an industry that's about creativity and, and that process is dangerously close to automation. And there's all these articles at the moment about how designers will be fine for the next 50 years because tech can't replicate the creative process well it can only it can only not do that if you're pulling inspiration from interesting diverse places yeah. the moment you're just pulling it from online blogs well technology can totally do that so yeah for me that's where the that's where I get more passionate about the designers is like you know get out of the building you know, walk around a supermarket and see what's going on so in the trains. Go to a gallery. Like the amount of people that you, in the past where I've worked, with, you give them a brief, and the first thing they do is like go online. Like right, chocolate bars, and they're like, why don't you just go to a shop and see what's what's being sold in the market? Like look at like the way your brand is being sold. Who's engaging with it? People buying it. Like mm-hmm. you need to look at the real world, not yeah. you know 
a screen version of it. Well, it's true because creativity, by its very nature, is is. I mean, maybe at its most fundamental point is is how we respond to the world around us and, and how that is, you know, what form that comes out in, depending on what we're doing. So if you've got this beautiful, unique set of, uh, you know, whole journey, everything you've seen, everyone you've met, where you're from, all those things, if you're just going to funnel that into, like you say, the same thing that everyone else is going on, there's only so much you can use of that. Whereas, as you say, if you're walking around a supermarket, or you've, you've heard that uh, person on the bus who's ranting at someone or whatever, it is, you're applying that to a unique situation, so you've got double, you know, Double uniqueness, that doesn't really make sense, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's why, that, again, that's why looking up is so crucial because if we're all looking at the same platforms and all taking inspiration from the same things, that's going to be reflected, of course, it is in the finished outcome. It was, um, I had Dave Sedgwick, uh, who's in the same studios as me, that goes in the studio DVD on the show, and he lectures a day a week. And he gets a little frustrated with that, you know, with everyone. Mm. He's at a brief and he said every single student jumps straight on Pinterest. And it's like, yeah, come on. Like, and he said, well, he's caught one of them typing in on Google um, how to have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which, you know, it's like, I mean, again, it's not, I, I get frustrated when some, some of the older guys tend to bang, you know, bash on technology and kind yeah. of go, it's not that at all. Again, but you have to make it work for you. It has, to be, it has to be a tool, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that is it. That is exactly it. It's just a, it is a tool. It's a temporary media. It's like, it's like we will move on from these things. It's like, you know, ten years ago, every everything was an MP3. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every, CDs are dead. It's all about MP3s. But then MP3s moved to SoundCloud, and everyone was like, right now, it's all about SoundCloud and Last <laughs> FM. And now it's all about Spotify. Yeah. Somebody will come along, and figure out how to do Spotify better in three or four years' time. Possible. And like, those are just delivery methods of something you enjoy which is music yeah. and I, I just think that um, yeah it's, it's, it's the same for like source of inspiration for me like you will, you will get more from just walking around looking at people's colour combinations of clothes you know I was I, where was I yesterday I saw something and there was a poster in the background of like a something from like the 1970s and I just thought that's the most contemporary looking thing I've seen in months um, and these, it will all go. It all goes full circle. These trends, of like, course. Um, but it's yeah, it's fascinating. I think like technology can be wonderful, but it just it can also be a limiter. Uh, you know, I've, I've, when I was reading about HMV closing over Christmas, well, I know it's not official yet, but it looks like it's going that way. You know, I was thinking, I've over the last three years, like, definitely started my influence. The the new music I listen to has definitely constricted. Um, and I think that's because like, I just don't buy physical CDs as much as I used to. I, I, I kept buying them until two years ago, but then I did get to the point where I was like, I've got a house full of junk here. I don't need this stuff. I can just listen to it on Spotify. Mm. But what I miss is that that person that when you go in a record shop would say, oh, what, do you, what are you into? And I'd be like, oh, Slater Kinney and um, I don't know, Hot Chip. And they're like, okay, well then you'd really like The Knife or whatever. Yeah. And, and like, I don't think tech has figured out how to do that. So Amazon and Spotify are great if you go on there knowing what you already want. Mm-hmm. But if you go on there and you're like, I just fancy a good book, or, or like, who do I get into today? They're, they're not very good for that. Yeah. And I, I think that's the drawback with technology at the moment. It's, it, it's a great place to conveniently get to something fast, but the internet should open up more and more and more countless inspiration. But the, the reality of it is I don't know if it does. Yeah, um, I think that the only thing that does that is just walking around and observing 
what's around it's you. true and I mean, it gives us this great access to all the, you know it's great for a fast answer to something or looking something up uh, it is a great you know it can be a time saver these days but yeah they like say ultimately it's the person behind the idea and, and, and you know those beautiful moments you get when it's least expected because that's what it is when you I found this recently I was in China of all places and projects and I, I just thought I'm not going to do any writing I'm not going to do any personal work I'm going to switch off and enjoy mm. being in this new exciting new place and the amount of ideas that when I gave my brain two days off was just flooded in and the things that I saw and it was like I almost couldn't cope I had to get it down somewhere yeah. you know it was like absolutely but that is what happens when you do, when you do get away from the screen and get out so I think totally. it's a very uh, yeah it's a good cautionary tale I think so uh, so what's going on now where, where where's what's happening moving forwards is uh, loads really I mean it was a huge year for us last year um, like creatively we tried a lot of new things um, we We've employed a bunch of new people in different like skill sets. Our clients are kind of asking us more and more and more to do stuff that makes us quite uncomfortable, really. Um, you know, like we didn't have a film team here. We didn't do films two years ago, and last year the guy that ran the team here said, you know, I said to him, I want you to enter the gut stuff film into some awards. I think it's really good, and he was like, Oh, we're not ready for that. We've only been going two years, and then it, it you know. It won pretty much everything we put it into, wow. and it's and that that for me just shows like if you're good and passionate about something like it's amazing like how quick you can just find the niche for it and make it work for you within the business and and now that we've we've started making films suddenly all of the other brands in the building are going well actually I could probably do with one of them mm. and I wouldn't mind one of them and and the clients are seeing that going. I didn't know you did that, but then I could probably do that as well. Okay. And it's and I think what's going to happen over the next sort of few years is I just think that the heart of what we do about getting to a brand purpose, creating a bold visual identity, um, with like you know packaging, like um, mm. sort of like wearable you know clothing apparel. That's the word I'm looking for, um, and like how it comes to life online will always be at the heart of what we do. But I just think the next two or three years are going to be about figuring out how to also bring that to life through like motion, through you know, mm. um, almost like oral and sonic branding. Um, I think I think you get as an agency like you, you get bored doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I think an agency is no different to like you know a band or um, you know a, an artist. You just have to keep pushing and trying to do the next thing, don't you? Otherwise, you will get. Yeah, you get a bit stale. So and, I think, I, and I think it also hits on something that's come up with a few people on this, and they've been wary of of uh, compartmentalisation. Mm. So you know, you don't. You said their packaging is design. Okay, yeah, you're doing all this great packaging design, but like you say, if you're taking care of the brand and the ethos and the, and, and the bigger picture, yeah. then that surely opens up opportunities to expand that beyond just the medium of packaging design, which keeps things exciting, which opens new doors to film, as you said, so, you know, which is, is crucial. So I think it's. That's very. Uh, I think it's a good reason why it's not good to just give everyone a role and keep them boxed to that role. Totally. You know. And the other thing we, you know, the thing we're doing that's quite interesting as well is with the smaller brands, we we've sort of got to a good business model with them because they often don't have a lot of money to to work with an agency. Uh, so what we what we're trying to do with them a bit more is like you know we we give some of them desk space here to help them get off the ground, or we have like sort of sprints where we sort of do like we we almost dump like 
10, 15 jobs into the studio just for one week and just help them get a load of stuff done that's going to see them through the year. Yeah. Um, or we you know, sometimes take small equity in the, in the brand to like help them get off the ground. So we'll, we'll do the work for like a smaller rate, but you know, if in two or three years' time the brand then is worth a bit of money and they've got some more money, they can then pay us down the line. So I think as a business, we've got some quite interesting like ways of like working with clients as well, which mean whether or not you're a big brand or a small brand with almost next to nothing, we can usually find a way to sort of make it work. Yeah. And we've, we've been doing a lot more charity work. You know, we, we rebranded the Diner Award um, and a big... Um, and a baseball um, charity in America that helps like kids get off the streets and um, sort of into like sort of well kind of like just get a slightly better start in life really through like engaging with sport and we've got a few more of those lined up this year as well because mm. uh, I think as well like one thing I've learned about the guys 15 years younger than me is like they they are all they all want to feel that sense of, of giving back a bit as well um, so I think the charity work on the side is, has become really important, you know, for the for the agency. We we do like three or four things a year, and that that that's really rewarding in a very different way. I think awards are great, and like commercial success is great, but I think that little bit that just makes your heart feel quite warm as well is. You know, I think it's important, and I think we're a lot of us are quite naturally sensitive people. That's what I always. This has come up so much recently, but the, that whole dichotomy of being creative it has its great upsides, but also it has a a flip side that we're all quite sensitive and we are quite tender humans so yeah. I think that's something that's quite important to a lot of people in this industry and like you say it can become a bone of contention if they don't have the, the opportunities to do that in some form but you know no matter how small so that's great to hear yeah as well yeah well um, so that pretty much comes to it I think but the, the last question I always ask guests and you might know about it if you listen to a few episodes called The Shark in the Tank I yes I have seen it <laughs> I was like oh god I forgot about this it's, an <laughs> it's got to be an on the spot question but it's a yeah it's a, it's a positive and a negative within what you do within your creativity really so it's a wide open question and it can be as silly or as serious as you want um I, I thought about this a little bit actually because I listened to a listened to a, I've been binging your the podcast for the last few days actually um, so I've I had a little bit of time to think about it, but um, so the one thing I thought that I love about this job is when you work on a brand or a business that you don't know anything about, it, I love almost having to become like a bit of an expert in it. Mm. Uh, it's almost like that bit in The Matrix where like Neo plugs himself in and, <laughs> and like downloads all the information on how to be like a judo master. Yeah. I sort of love that I didn't know anything about malt whiskey until about 10 years ago and now I love malt whiskey. Or I, I like that I didn't know anything about um, gut health until a few months ago, and now I'm like a bit more conscious around what I'm eating because I'm working with the gut stuff. Yeah. It's like I love that about this job that you do get to like learn and and find out about some really interesting stuff doing this job, and I think it it kind of keeps you I don't know culturally engaged and relevant. I think as well, mm-hmm. um, it's just. Yeah, I love I love that sort of sponge like feeling of absorbing new stuff. Um, I haven't really thought about the one things that I hate. And normally, I'm quite good at thinking finding things that annoy me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, um, oh, I, I'm not a fan of nostalgia. Mm. I I I get a little I get a bit tired of. I, I, I you know I feel like you often come up against people in life who. Um, I don't know, want to take something back to when it was really good. I think we're living in an age where, you know, we're going through what we're going through politically is pretty much 
people are chasing a dream that never actually existed. Yeah. Um, and whether it's your your dream or your nightmare is like open to debate, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm one of those people that genuinely believes, and that's what I love about Ian as well. That the most exciting stuff is ahead. I hate those people that go, oh, it's all been done before, or there's no new ideas, or um, they haven't done a good album since 1997, or, you know, films stopped being good in the 1970s, and it's just like, oh, piss off. It's just like, it drives me mad. I'm like, you know, I don't know, I still try and, I don't get to go to as many gigs and things as I used to, you know, now I've got kids and stuff, but um, I... I, I do it's so important to like not become that person I think that, yeah. that believes that because then what like exactly <laughs> is that it is it all yeah, yeah. It's like, well done you've, you've peaked you know, I, you know enjoy the yeah. rest of your life yeah know. I know people like that who've, who've entirely written off like you say a film and TV past a certain point and here we are in this golden age of television yeah. and I think you, you're, you're self-sabotaging your own enjoyment yeah. what are you doing like it's so weird it's so I, I, so nostalgia for me is like really dangerous at the moment because like Hollywood's just going down a road of just making remaking everything again and like oh, yeah. I, all those people that are holding out for like a, a third series of Spaced or or like and I'm like it would be rubbish it would be rubbish they'd be like things are over time <laughs> things yeah. work then because it was then it's like yeah you can you know and there's nothing wrong with enjoying it and going back and revisiting it but don't come recreating it 20 years later no you know it's yeah, it seems really strange to me yeah I think when you <laughs> when you embrace like the future as well like I'm, I'm not always the best at embracing new tech. I'm usually about two years behind what everyone else is doing. Like I've just learned that I can cast things to my telly in the last week, for example. So I'm like, I'm quite pleased with myself now. But as, <laughs> as, but as long as other people around you know how to use that stuff and engage with it, I think. But if you if you're afraid of that, or you just don't think that you're you're ever going to do another good bit of illustration, or there will never be a, a, as good a brand as something you've already done in your your career, it's like. You know, I don't know, it's such a shame, I think. Yeah. Like, just, just snap out of that mindset if you oh want to find God, yourself yeah. in it. I mean, the book I gave you, the 10-year thing there, it's like, I, I took a moment, because I'm often guilty of being so focused on what's now that I don't stop to enjoy something, when, mm. you know. So I stopped and, you know, I, I had a cup of tea, I sat down for 15 minutes, really enjoyed looking through that and thought, well done, what's next? It's like, you know, and it, but it's, immediately it's into, like, yeah. changing it up. How can I advance this? How can I change? What can I do now? Who can I collaborate with? And that's what's exciting. That's what's always been exciting. So, like you say, if I'm always, you know, arcing back to stuff from ten years ago, I forget about it. I'm irrele- I become irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, I, when I first moved to London, I when I moved into a studio, I was directly opposite a lady who was studying product design, and she got a studio because she was doing her own line of 3D printing on the side. I mean, I walked in and there's four. 3D printers going and wow. I've never seen one in action head fell off it was like oh my god this is amazing like well, tell me about everything and, and it, you know it only took a matter of time before we were collaborating and I was painting directly onto these 3D prints we'd done it's just you know it's exciting you've got to be there with what's new absolutely yeah so yeah well that's been fantastic and uh, thank you so much well for thank you very much for asking me it's been on no it's my, my pleasure Thank you very much to Sean Thomas for taking the time among his busy schedule as Executive Creative Director at Jones and Knowles Ritchie to talk to little old me. It means a lot. I love it. I love doing this podcast. So thank you for listening. Also, get us your feedback, please, at Arrest Mix on the social media. Um, what, what's going on? What's going on? Um, get in touch. Let us know. If you want to be on the show, give us a shout. Let me know who you want to hear from. Please do. These recommendations are very valuable. 
it might seem with a big archive to this show that I know what's going on and who needs to be spoken to, but chances are I've missed out on what's hot by the time it's happened. It's usually the way, so I need you guys to let me know. Coming up, we've got Cam and Mason from Playground talking about outdoor spaces, creativity across many different disciplines. We've got Kevin House coming up talking well-being. That's a good one. Uh, Dominique Byron, illustrator. Got the AUI coming up talking about their business empowerment campaign. Uh, thank you to the sponsors. As I mentioned, Association of Illustrators, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk, foilco.co.uk. These guys keep this show free, so please do go and support them and check out the great work they're doing. I don't pick any old Tom, Dick or Harry. It's got to be somebody relevant to you guys, so I appreciate you listening. Um, Yeah, so that's about it. It's all going on. Have a good week. Chat soon. (laughs) 